I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. You know, the last couple of days, I've had the privilege to spend time with a large group of law enforcement officers uh, in Howell Township, New Jersey. So what they were doing is they have a, uh, they call it a SWAT team competition, but it's not really a SWAT team. Uh, What they are is there's a group of different activities that officers perform on a regular basis during their course of their their duties. So there was a shooting competition. There was uh, formations. You know, the officers go, go as they clean, go in buildings and try and clean out buildings and make sure there's no suspects in there. Uh, physical fitness, obstacle courses, all kinds of things. And the whole idea was there, there were 12 teams that were uh, assembled and they were volunteer. They could volunteer to join. And they came to this location and there was a competition. And People like myself were there to say hi, support the officers, watch what they were doing. It was really very interesting. So I had a good time with that, and uh, it was really, it was really great to see these young men and women uh, working together as a team, trying to do what's right and practicing. And I just wanted to mention it because it's such a great event, and I know things like this take place all across the country. So if you uh, have local police to support, I suggest you do it. Now, when I say that. Uh, there was an area set up where people could, they, you know, there were tents set up so the officers could relax in the shade, they could have their lunch. Uh, and I was sitting at some of these booths talking to some of the cops. And here comes a, a, a gentleman and I guess his son from the neighborhood. They were residents of the local neighborhood. And they, they, they walked into the area and they were carrying a box of cigars. And they went up to each and every one of the groups saying, hey, we support the police, we appreciate everything that you do, Uh, we brought over cigars, and please help yourselves to some cigars. Now, it was a simple gesture, but I thought it was really very nice, and I ended up talking to this man. I said, why why are you doing this? You know, why are you coming over here to, you know, support the officers and, and, you know, bring them some cigars and this and that? And he was very genuine. He goes, listen, we live in a nice community, and it's a safe community. My children grow up here. I live here as I'm getting older, and the reason it's a nice community is it's safe because the police officers of this community do the right thing to keep us all safe. And I just wanted to show my support to them and to all the law enforcement officers that are here today. I can see they're from all over the state of New Jersey, and uh, we know that cops uh, sometimes enjoy a cigar, so we bought some cigars and we brought them over. It was really a wonderful gesture from this man and his son. So I just thought that was excellent. Uh, one of the people that I, I had here uh, that I brought with me was a young man named John Graham, and he's from a company called KWA Airsoft. So if you're law enforcement or you're military or you have a private security company or anything that, that handles safety and security for your facility or your agency, uh, KW Airsoft is an amazing uh group of, of, of equipment for doing force on force is what it's called. So basically, in law enforcement, there's a couple ways that officers can practice for violent encounters. Maybe it's stopping a car that was involved in a robbery, maybe an active shooter situation, uh, maybe dealing with someone who is suicidal and has a weapon, right? So the couple of ways that we do it is what I call, the first way is I called eight-year-old training. And I don't mean like from eight years ago, 
what I'm saying is it's like eight-year-olds. Uh, they use fake handguns, plastic handguns that don't fire anything. They're just plastic. Usually they're colored blue or colored red. And they use these training guns. And if there's a confrontation where it might be a shooting scenario, like you stop a car that has a robber in it, and the robber might get out and decide to shoot at you. And then you would have to see if you could respond quickly. Do you have a safe position? All that kind of thing. And because, you know, they don't really shoot anything at each other, they... they so, you know, I would have got you. No, you would have got me like a couple of eight-year-olds. You don't really know. Uh, and while it does have some value in that the officers have to unholster a weapon, try and get into position uh, in, a, in a deadly encounter, it doesn't offer that much. So the next kind of training that's out there is a thing called simunitions. Now, simunitions are, are really uh, an amazing training tool for law enforcement. What you do is think about a, a semi-automatic handgun. You know how the slide goes back and forth every time you pull the trigger, right? And that slide goes back. It's not a revolver. So what you do is you have to buy a specific receiver, a metal receiver, the part that goes back and forth. You take off the real one from the gun and you put a simunitions receiver on there. Now those are expensive. They are very expensive. A couple hundreds of dollars each handgun. And then you have to shoot simunitions bullets or rounds, which are effective. They, they actually make a loud bang like a real bullet. They shoot a projectile, which is very, very powerful. Um, but the problem is, is that it is so powerful that it can cause serious injuries. I know we had them in my agency uh, many years ago. We were using them, and an officer got shot in the wrist, and it broke his wrist. That's how powerful these things are. But they're very realistic, and that's why they're good for training. Uh, the, the other side is that, is that each round, each bullet that you use is about a dollar. So when you start to think about you might have 10 officers that have to practice uh, do, doing scenarios, shooting scenarios. You could spend $1,000 in rounds very easily, and most agencies don't have that kind of money. So uh, while simunitions is very good, it is also very expensive. And, and when I talk to a lot of these officers uh, today, they said it was it's a little impractical, even though it's good. Simunitions is good stuff. Then there's the third kind, and this is the kind that I found probably about 15 years ago. There's There are guns out there called airsoft guns. Now, you might have heard of them. Uh, your kids might use them. You can buy them in uh, gun stores. You can buy them in shopping stores, Walmarts, and things like that. And they shoot a plastic six millimeter pellet, BB, right? It's a plastic BB. And uh, they're classified as toy guns. Well, they're classified as toy guns because they're spring-operated or, or uh, air-operated, air and they shoot this pellet. Well, that was when they first came out. Uh, they have now become very, very sophisticated, very high-end uh, training tools for law enforcement and the military. Uh, and this company, KWA, that I found, uh, they're out west. I think they're based out of uh, Portland or California. And I met John Graham at a, at a police event last year. And I said, hey, I do a lot of training with police officers. We do narcotics investigations. We do criminal investigations, arrests, all that kind of thing. Um, I would, I'm interested in using airsoft equipment. So that's how I got to meet John. But let me go back to, to 15 years ago. I had seen this airsoft equipment. And it was used, right? It was kids. Kids were using it to, you know, play cops and robbers for all, all better words and they could shoot at each other because the they did the, the pellets when they hit you they don't um they don't break your bones they're not that they're not that hard and you can buy them inexpensively well i have to find uh, a couple of manufacturers who were making law enforcement grade 
airsoft equipment. So this was equipment made out of metal, not made out of plastic like a toy, made out of metal. Uh, they purchased licenses from real gun companies uh, so that they could make models that looked like the guns the officers actually carry. They increased the velocity or the speed of the pellet uh, and they had different, uh, they were air, air, air operated. You know, you put the little CO2 cartridges in there and you could fire them and you could use them in real training scenarios because if you were doing, say, a car stop, you're stopping a car that potentially was in a robbery uh, and the person jumps out and you don't have a good position at your police car and you get dinged um, in the head or you get dinged in the shoulder, it's a learning moment because in real life, had that been a real gun, you realize you could be seriously injured uh, maimed or dead and therefore the officers get get some realism in their training to realize they have to take better positions they have to uh, act quicker they have to position their vehicles differently position themselves when they're stopping people so over the course of the years this equipment has gotten better and better and better and I'm a big proponent of it because first of all um, like I was saying the simunitions to, to buy one uh, receiver for a handgun is five to six hundred dollars Right now, if you have 10 officers, that's 6,000 bucks right there. Then the ammunition is a dollar a piece. It's very, very expensive, and you have to wear very heavy, heavy clothing. So the officers in the, uh, the training I was seeing today that I had seen, these officers were wearing uh, all kinds of safety equipment so they didn't get hit in the groin because so, you could have serious damage. They had neck protectors so they didn't get their necks hurt. Um, and heavy clothing and helmets, right, and goggles and all that because you could take an eye out. Well, that's another downside of the simunitions. But the airsoft, all you really have to wear is a uh, is like a paintball goggle, you know, something that would protect your eyeballs so you don't hit your eyeball. Anywhere it hits you else, it might sting, but it's not going to go into your skin. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to cut you open. Uh, but it's still, at the same time, it's very accurate. Uh, at 25 or 30 yards, you know, the rifles and the handguns are very accurate. So I, I, I started using that with my officers, and I found that it really gave them a great sense of, um, of their positioning, their spatial understanding of when they're clearing a building, like going in after an active shooter, how you turn a corner, uh, and maybe there's a shooter on the other side. If you don't take a good position and that shooter takes a shot at you, it could hit you. And when the officers get hit, they realize, wow, in a real event, I would have just gotten shot. So they practice better using this equipment. And in, in my search for equipment, when I found this KWA, uh, and I met this guy, John, he was really, really nice. And I said, hey, listen, I would like to, uh, I would like to try some of your equipment. I would like to use it and, and, you know, do these kind of things. So they sent me some equipment. It's, it is rugged. It is so much different than years ago. It is not the toys the kids play with. This is real law enforcement grade equipment. And the reason I'm mentioning this today, because I was at this uh, training event and there were officers there and they were coming over uh, to where John was. John brought some of the equipment with him. His company sent him out here uh, and he could display the equipment. He was letting them try it. And these officers were gathered around. I couldn't believe how many cops came around and said, wow, they didn't even know that quality equipment like this uh, was available for law enforcement. And when you think about it, um, a gun, a handgun is about $125 for the gun uh, as opposed to $600 for a slide for one gun. So for the price of... Uh, I think they have different packages for like uh, $2,500. You can get four rifles, four handguns, and all the ammunition, and, and they use green gas, they call it. It's like propane uh, to fire the weapon. 
it is very economical and you can practice all the time. I found my officers, we practiced all the time uh, because it was easy to deploy. You didn't have to do a lot. You just put on a mask and you come up with a scenario and you could go out and train. And it made the officers better at what they did. They had better um, weapons control. They weren't always just, you know, just firing. They knew how to fire. They practiced better. When they used their real handguns, they practiced shooting more accurately. It was a boon. It was really a great thing. And I was so excited that they came out today. But the cops were all gathered around and they're like, wow, how do we get this stuff? So we're going to be running an event uh, on June 21st with KWA Airsoft where we're going to invite the officers down. We're going to let them uh, you know, use the equipment. We're going to practice uh, different formations and different building clearing things and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to do a program on the understanding of what happened between uh, uh, Uvalde the Uvalde shooting and Nashville, the Covenant School shooting, and the officer come out and try the equipment. And that's really one of the things I'm trying to work towards this point is that, um, you know, this time of year is is anniversaries for a lot of a lot of the, the biggest tragic school shootings that we've all had. And recently now we've had the anniversary of the Uvalde attack. Now, for those of you who know, uh, I did a program for Campus Safety Magazine on what happened during Uvalde, um, how the attack took place. There was a lot of myths out there about what happened, and the program I did was uh, dispelled some of those myths. Well, that was so popular uh, that now that we came up to a, a year later, the magazine came back to me and said, hey, Lieutenant Joe, could you do a program uh, and, and kind of compare the differences between what happened at Uvalde and what happened at Nashville, because the cops in Nashville did an amazing job at the Covenant School, an absolutely amazing job, and I've talked about it here on, on the show. Uh, but I said, yes, of course, I'll put together something and we'll do it. And, and I really compare uh, a lot of things like Parkland, what we learned from Parkland, what we learned from Sandy Hook, Columbine, and all of these. Uh, but I think uh, maybe later today in our program, I will, I will, I will do some of that program for you so you kind of get a flavor uh, for, for the kind of training that's out there for law enforcement. All right, so I wanted to mention that, and I want to thank Hal Township Police Department uh, and all the agencies that came out. They were very, very nice to Lieutenant Joe. You know, it's interesting. Everywhere I go, I come across police officers that that took my classes, and they remember me, and, and they're they're very they're very nice. These young men and women are just really, really excellent. I'm so thrilled I was involved with a career that involves such wonderful people, real, true heroes. Uh, and while we may have a couple of officers that go rogue. The, the great majority of the law enforcement officers that are out there, your sheriffs, your corrections officers, police officers, pr prosecutors, detectives, state police, uh, you name it, federal police, all these men and women are really, truly heroes. Uh, and just like that man and his son in the neighborhood who came around to say thank you because their neighborhood was safe and secure because of the efforts of these officers. And we see every day, uh, just about every day, we see officers in America sacrificing their lives at the altar of freedom so that we can live well. Um, Lieutenant Randy Sutton, who does a program, and, and Randy does some amazing things for fallen officers uh, with, the, with the wounded blue. And, and I just, I'm so grateful to people like Randy and those people who, like that man and his son who came to say thank you. And I'm very grateful to the men and women who picked up the, the gun and the badge after I retired and they're out there doing it now. So. Hey, to all my law enforcement friends and families out there, uh, thank you for what you do. I appreciate it, and I know millions and millions of Americans appreciate it. So if you see a cop, say thank you. 
because it really does mean a lot to them to know that they are supported, especially at a time like today when uh, a lot of people want to defund them, who don't like them, who have problems with them. So that's what I want to say about that. Now, as we look forward uh, into the other areas of the news, let's 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 talk about that. There was a I'm going to try and find my notes, but there was some things that came out recently from the Biden administration about, well, you know, as they're gearing up for the elections and what's going on in the world. And there was a bunch of lies. They said a bunch of lies. And I I want to point them out. So if I can find them in my notes, maybe for the uh, second half of this episode, I'll go through them. But I did see something recently that I guess you would call it controversial. I don't know if, if, if it's controversial or if it's, if it's wrong-headed or what it is. But recently, we had the president of the NAACP, the National Association of Advanced Single Colored Persons, come out and say that it's a state of emergency, that Florida is a dangerous place for people of color and people of the LGBTQ community, that they shouldn't go to Florida, that it's dangerous there for them. Meantime... Uh, I believe the president of that organization, of the NAACP, has a house in Tampa and lives there. Um, And there was another uh, representative of the organization that basically just came back from vacation there with their family because Florida is a beautiful, beautiful place. And when when I read the story and I've, I've heard clips of it on the news, they're saying it is not safe for people of color or for people who are gay or for people who are LGBTQ or people are trans people, that it's a... And really, it's, it's just an attack on DeSantis. You know, the state of Florida uh, is a beautiful, beautiful place. It is uh, a great place to raise a family. The, the freedoms that you have there uh, of Florida has really become a place uh, that is the bellwether of what the American freedoms really look like. You have freedom of speech. You have freedom over your own health care. You can decide to take a shot or not take a shot. Uh, you can have a business, you can work hard, taxes are low, um, but but to come up with this, that it's dangerous for people of color, it's not dangerous for people of color, that is that is nonsense. They, they, there's nothing about the state of Florida that, that would say, let's, let's attack people of color, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and the LGBTQ community, there's no danger to them. Uh, well, look at him. He's, he's trying to, uh, what would this one woman say? She came out and says, trying to erase African-American history. Nobody's trying to erase African-American history. Uh, the, the, the schools there teach American history, and they teach about the horrors of slavery, which they should. We have to understand the mistakes we made in the past and the things people suffered. I think that's valid. But... What they, what they don't want to teach is this uh, 1619 uh, nonsense, uh, which is really pits kids against each other and pits the races against each other. As far as I could see from it, uh, you know, this critical race theory, uh, I'm all for teaching the truth about what happened and, and how it happened. But I mean all of the truth. But that doesn't mean anybody's in danger. They're simply they're not saying they don't want to teach African-American history. They just don't want to teach what they consider to be an inappropriate curriculum, right? And you could say, well, that's the right one. We don't know it's the right one. We don't even know what's in there. They won't even tell us all the time what, what's in there. Uh, and as far as uh, the, the LGBT community, oh, because he's he's against the children having these surgeries when they're, when they're 10 years old to change gender. Listen, I understand somebody must be struggling really, really hard to understand who they are and where they fit fit in and who they should be. I get that. I understand that completely. And I sympathize with anyone going through that. 
But at the same time, you, 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 as a young person, you can't make life-changing decisions right, without all the information based on your emotional feelings. So all they're trying to say is that, hey, anybody under 18, they could certainly feel like they want to have one of these transitions, they want to have the surgery, they want to have the, the blockers and all the, all the hormone blockers, and they want to change who they are. But the reality is once they're over 18, they may have a change of mind and they've done something permanent to themselves. That's not saying that they're going to attack the LGBTQ community. Not at all. What they're saying is that adults can make those decisions. Children shouldn't be making those decisions, right? They should be getting psychological help to help them understand where they're at. Once they turn 18 and they can make an adult decision and they want to do that, they can certainly go ahead and do it. You know, any of us can do anything like that that we want to do. And Florida is no, no specific thing keeping you from, you know, they're going to attack you because you have those beliefs. They're trying to protect people from making inappropriate decisions at a time of life when they're too young to understand the ramifications of what they're doing, right? Uh, you don't let kids buy beer unless they're 21 years old. How come? Because they're too young to make those kind of decisions to understand what alcohol can do to you, uh, how it can hurt you physically, how it can put you in bad positions. Uh, so we don't do those things, right? We have to have our parents involved with decisions that are life-changing before we're 18 or so, right? And I think that's all that they're trying to say there. And, and this is clearly an attack on DeSantis because now he's running for president. And it's, it's a way to get him, you know, say you could complain that, that this is what he's doing. Why would you vacation there then if it's so dangerous, right? Why would you have a house there if it's so dangerous? So it's a ridiculous thing to say. And I think it takes away from the credibility that the NAACP has in trying to be a, uh, uh, an organization that promotes the interests of its members. Well, th don't get involved in this political stuff. That's not true. You know, talk about truths. Let's talk about things that are important for us to discuss concerns. But don't come out there and make things up like that. A thing like the Florida, it's, it's an emergency place. It's a danger. It's not a danger to anybody. Florida is a great place. And I think I think the overriding uh, message that really comes from Florida is that anybody and everyone is welcome to come to Florida and enjoy the beauty of the state of Florida, enjoy what they have to offer, live there, work there, vacation there, whatever. Just come here and, and, and do that. Don't come here and uh, get into trouble. Don't come here and cause problems. Don't come, come here and, and, and get involved in things that are inappropriate. You know, and as far as his, uh, his, his uh, the governor, uh, Governor DeSantis's problems with Disneyland, the problem with Disneyland is they got special treatment back in the day because they, they took over a huge area of land. They were going to bring in thousands of jobs and millions and millions of dollars of revenue to the state, which they have over the years. It's been very, very popular. But they've gone woke, right? They've, they've stopped being an organization that creates fun uh, and enjoyment for the whole family. And now they've gone woke. And a lot of what they're doing has offended a lot of people. And I guess in our country, only one one side of the aisle is allowed to be offended. When the other side, say the more traditional side of, uh, of any, any group is offended, that's too bad. So anyway, my point being is that it seems in our world today, while the whole idea, the concept of tolerance is a very good one, 
right? Lots of people do different things. They believe different things. They live different things. And that's fine. Everybody has to be who they are, you know, in the world. We, we all want to kind of row in the same direction. We want safe, secure communities. We want uh, people to be healthy. We want people to do good things. And if your lifestyle is different than mine, that's perfectly fine. But the problem is, is when you start insisting that your lifestyle has to not only be tolerated by me, but accepted by me and promoted by me, that's a problem. Just as it would be a problem for you if I said, not only do you have to tolerate my lifestyle, but you must accept my lifestyle, you must promote my lifestyle, and you must uh, engage in my lifestyle. And this is where we have a problem today. It's why we can't talk about anything. Right? It's it's become one of the most ridiculous things in the world, and only one side is allowed to be offended. The traditional side can be offended. Christians can be offended. Men can be offended. Uh, but everyone else, no, nope, nope. It's too bad because I guess men are the worst things on the world, uh, on the planet. And uh, now uh, you can you can offend them. You can offend Christians and this, that, and the other thing. So I find all of that um, part of the bigger problem that we have. Now, I think in, in, our, in our second half of our program, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, Uvalde to Nashville. I think that's important for us to go over, especially uh, as we're around that time, that anniversary uh, of Nashville. I mean, the, the anniversary of Uvalde, the school shooting there. And as the end of the school year in most places uh, comes to an end for this year, we hope that there's no more violence this year or next year or in a year after that. Maybe, maybe we've passed that. Uh, point, but I don't think I don't think that we have. Uh, it's part of what I do. I, I try and train people to respond to that. I, I write about. I teach about it. But I don't think it is. And I think that's part of one of the bigger problems we have here is we we can't we can't communicate with each other anymore. We don't communicate. We we fight. We argue, and we demand of each other. So that's what I think I want to talk about. Now, I. I I, I want to talk about healthy cell for a minute. I want to tell you how much I like it. I think you've kind of gotten that. I've let you know how much I like it. I wanted to have a report today from my cousin Stephen, who uh, who's been taking the uh, the sleep the sleep uh, the REM sleep product. I gave him some I had a while ago, and he said it really changed his life. He actually could sleep for the first time in a long time. And then he was asking me about it, uh, and I bought some more for him, and then he actually told me, hey, I went on and I bought some myself so that I have enough because it worked so well the last time. I was hoping to get a quote from him today. Unfortunately, uh, I, I couldn't reach out to him in time. So I'll get back to him uh, maybe maybe for next week. We'll know how it worked out. But for me, Healthy Cell, the immune boost, has been extraordinary. It has been really, really good. Um, and I also want to hear from the boys in the neighborhood you know, uh, they've been taking the focus factor because, you know, a, a couple of them are a little, you know, a little, little deft. Uh, so it would be helpful to them. All right. So when we talk about Uvalde and all these school shootings and, you know, we're hoping that the summer is quiet and we're hoping that the summer is not riotous. We're hoping that the summer is peaceful, right? It, don't we all want peace? Don't everybody just want some peace in our lives? There's so much consternation and so much anger and, and resentment and this and that. And it's exactly the opposite of tolerance, right? We talk about tolerance. Everybody should be tolerant of each other. Maybe we should start living that. And it's on both sides. Not everybody is uh, intolerant uh, or perfectly tolerant. We can all have room to grow. So think about that while we take a little break. This is Lieutenant Joe. I'll be back in a minute. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican... 
one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Right, my friends, welcome back to the show that never ends. So there's more on my pages of outrages today, and I'm going to talk about them before we get into Uvalde and Nashville and all of that. Uh, Something, you know, culturally, when we talk about things culturally, uh, we lost a a great, we lost a great uh, Tina Turner. Uh, She passed away. Uh, An amazing singer, dancer, personality, actress. I loved her in Thunderdome uh, with Mel Gibson, uh, which was, I I love the Mad Max movies. Uh, But Thunderdome, she was excellent in that. Uh, Always fun whenever you you listen to her. And she overcame a lot. She overcame a lot with, uh, you know, Ike and Tina Turner days. Uh, Ike apparently uh, was not so nice to her. And there was movies about it and this and that. And she suffered a lot. But really an amazing, seems like an amazing person. I don't know know her personally. I don't know a lot about her. All I know is her persona and how the things she did out in the world. And she always seemed full of energy, full of life. 
just wonderful. And, you know, you don't think about our icons. Uh, every day these people are passing away, people that we grew up with, people that were uh, part of our lives, intertwined with our lives. And I guess that's true for every generation. Um, but, you know, what we see, you know, Tina Turner passes away and then we see some other movie star or singer or, or someone else that's been a part of our life. And you realize the age of these people. Like, one of my favorite bands from the time I'm a kid was Aerosmith. I love Aerosmith. I always have. They, they really, uh, Joe Perry, the guitar player, really got me into guitar because I just love the riffs. I love the sound. It moved me emotionally. And that's what music does. Music moves us at our soul. And it got me into the whole rock and roll thing. Going from a little kid to a young man, that became very important to me. I picked up a guitar. I started playing because of that. But you realize uh, Joe Perry and Steven Tyler are in their 70s. And I say, when in their 70s? My God, that sounds really old. Then I realize I'm in my 60s. How the hell did that happen? How fast did that go? Uh, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine. We worked together. He was a police officer. And he uh, came on the job. He was a dynamic guy, did great, great work, was always energetic, was part of our narcotic squad, was part of our anti-crime unit. Uh, always, always making good arrests, guns, drugs, all that kind of stuff. Well, I see him now, and I said, hey, how you doing? It's been a long time since I've seen you, because you know, we went separate ways after retirement and, and different things in life. He goes, yeah, he goes, can you believe I'm in my, my mid-50s? I'm like, dude, I'm 60. I'm like, where the hell did that time go? Well, we both realized, uh, and, and Kathleen and I were talking about it, when it comes to life, if you think of life like a football game, we're in the fourth quarter. This is the fourth quarter. You know, there's a lot more road we already passed than there is road forward. And that's a little sobering. And I don't want anyone to, to you know, think I'm being uh, melodramatic here. I'm just trying to realize, you know, my place in life. I'm still on my trajectory. You know, I'm, I'm still writing books. I'm writing plays. I'm, I'm playing. I'm picking up my guitar again, right? I'm playing some guitar. I got together with some friends of mine and we were jamming. It was, it was excellent. It was a lot of fun. I bought a new guitar. I bought an amplifier. Because I'm living, I'm trying to live, you know, and enjoy my kids and my grandchildren. But talking to my buddy, that's what he said. He goes, he goes, you can you imagine uh, if we live to the uh, expected life expectancy of a male in America? That's what 75. He goes, uh, for me, that's like 20 years. Uh, for you, it's 14. I said, yeah. Uh, even if you get to 80, which is very rare, uh, you're in the fourth quarter. You know, this uh, we there's people we know that are. How about you? There's people you know that are dropping off. It is. So my point is, is not to be uh, negative or to tell you to look down, but to look up. Enjoy the life that you do have. Whatever life you have, make the best of it. Enjoy it. Uh, enjoy your friends, your families. Do the things that are fun. You know, me and Miss Kathy, we, we've been spending our whole lives taking care of people, taking care of family members, taking care of our kids, taking care of everyone. And, you know, we, we put ourselves second. You know, we had to do other things. There was our responsibility and the right thing to do. We wanted our kids to have the right things. We wanted to make sure that they had a good life and we worked hard. And we said, you know, okay, well, we'll put it off some more. Now we may have some weddings and we still have to pay for college. You know, all those kind of things that come up. And while that's a reality, we're in the fourth quarter. So we were talking about it and, you know, we went to Ireland a few years ago, which was really an excellent trip. What a great time we had. Uh, my father-in-law, Ted, his family is from Donegal and we went there and it's, it's one of the most starkly beautiful places I've ever seen. Granite mountains with no trees, uh, absolutely beautiful looking over the North Atlantic Ocean, beautiful. Uh, but that's the only place we've ever been outside the country other than Nassau, you know, in the Bahamas. We, we went on a cruise there one time. 
So we've been th- what are we going to do? Are we going to put it off some more? You know, are we going to put it off another five years? Then what? Uh, who knows what happens in five years? You see what I'm saying? You don't know what happens in five years. So we said, no. Where are we going to go? There's two places we wanted to go, two places we wanted to visit. Uh, Israel, the state of Israel, and we also want to visit Italy. Now, when we when we looked at the two, we're going back and forth, and we're trying to combine. Okay, what if this is our only big trip that we get to before, and you know, whatever life brings our way? Um, I would like to go to Israel because I would like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. I would like to go to the cities and the towns uh, where he he was. I'd like to jump in the Jordan River, and I'd like to walk out in the desert. I'd like to do all that stuff to experience it. And at the same time, I would love to see Italy. And, you know, historically, my family, I have family from from Potenza, which is down in the Arch of the Boot. It's in the mountains. Uh, There's still people named Pangaro there. Uh, Very interesting. So Kathleen wants to see it. We want to see Rome. We want to see Venice. We want to see Florence. We want to see, you know, the beauty of the Amalfi Coast. We want to enjoy that. So we went back and forth and, and trying to compare, you know, what is what. And we finally decided on Italy. We're going to go see Italy, uh, the historic features of Italy, you know, the Roman Empire that's there, the art, you know, going to Florence. Um, the more we study it, the more we study where to go in Italy, you could, people said, oh, you could spend two days in Florence. But the more we look at it, uh, it's the home of, uh, of uh, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael. I mean, all the, the great artists, the, the Medici family who were the patrons of, of all the arts. Uh, there, there's so many amazing things there that we're uh, we're gonna we're probably gonna wish we spent more time in Florence, uh, but we're gonna go there and then we're gonna see Rome, we're gonna see the Amalfi Coast, uh, Tuscany. Yeah, it, but my point is is live, right? You have to live once in a while. You have to enjoy the beauty of life. Smell the roses. That's what that means. Stop and smell the roses. Well, that's what we're gonna do. Now that doesn't mean we get to that vacation. This is a reality. I mean, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, lightning could strike, uh, you could drop off the earth. But the thing is, you know, we're trying to we're trying to enjoy um, some of life, to see some of the things that we, we never thought we would get to see. And it's a hopeful uh, up kind of a thing. What's a downer is the politics that are going on, the politics in our nation. So in the beginning of the show, I talked about tolerance and intolerance and who's tolerant, who's not tolerant and, and how difficult it is. It, it, it's disturbing that we can't find a way to just everybody just just relax, you know, just just do what you're doing. But the thing is, is you want you want to be you want to be safe. You have to look out for people who are weaker than you, you know. So you know the argument that's really split the country and really changed the the midterm elections was the abortion issue. Who thought so many people would be so fired up about abortion? Now I get it. I get it. You know, I understand the people who are uh, who are pro-abortion. I understand they want to have complete autonomy over their their decisions about their body, and, and I get that. Um, I would want to have complete autonomy over my body, but the reality is, it's not just one body; it's two bodies. There's another person there, and if you you know, if there's a person, and I believe it is a person, it's a human being. I believe it's a baby, has a soul from God. That's what I believe. That's my belief. Um, and and I think someone has to stand up for that baby. So that's why I think that way. It's not that I want to control anybody. Uh, now, other people I know think totally different to me. Nope, it's not a baby. It's not a baby till it's born. It's not a baby till this and that. It's not a baby till we, we, we birth it and then we decide to, to kill it, whatever. It's not a baby till we say it is. And they can do what they want with it. I get that. And that's a legitimate argument in America, right? Because, and, and this is this goes back to what I said initially. You know, my lifestyle, my belief 
shouldn't impinge on yours. Yours shouldn't impinge on mine. We have to find a way both to get along. And and, and I know as a as a Christian, I know that I should look out for life. I should I should be concerned about life. And that life is the life of the baby. And that's why I, I, I think it's a better thing to choose life than to choose death. So I, I saw a picture. I was at my son, my son Joe's house. And uh, in his bathroom of all places, there's a... Um, there's a picture of him and his beautiful wife, uh, Addie, and they were looking down at my first grandchild, Annalisa, who was just born. She was a couple weeks old. And they're looking at her so lovingly, so so beautifully. And when I looked at it, I said, the thing that came right into my head was, life is a beautiful choice. Now, that's a, that's a, a, a catchphrase that people have used. Uh, you know, in the arguments back and forth. And I, this is not about, I don't want to go on and on about abortion or not abortion. I'm simply saying when I saw that picture, and I saw that, and it was, it was absolutely beautiful. And to choose life, and we have a culture of life, or we have a culture of death. So once again, I'm going to ask everybody: take the religion out of things. Take the religion out of it, because you know people lose their minds. They get triggered. They jump out a window when you talk about religion. Uh, take that out of it. Let's just let's just boil down the concept of the fact that we're here, that we can understand each other, that we we were alive. Right? Uh, as strange as it is, we're alive on a rock spinning in the middle of nowhere, uh, circling around a, a, a star, which circles around a galaxy in the middle of billions of galaxies. You know, what, what are we even doing here? What are we even doing? That makes the spectacular aspects of life even more important. Right? So you, you, to take the religion out of it, take all that out of it, and just look at life. The fact that if, we, if, we're, if we're on Mars, right, we got these rovers on Mars and we're going to go to Venus and we're looking around. If we found a bug, an insect on one of those planets, it would change our perception of the universe, of the entire universe, because there'd be life somewhere else besides here. And what makes that amazing, not just that there's somewhere else besides here, but that there's life. And life is important. Life is valuable in and of itself. And I don't think we always... I don't think we always think about that enough in those kind of terms. Uh, you know, if you take the religion out of it and you just think about the, it's magnificent that there's any life at all, that you have life, that I have life, that we get to be here. Uh, we get to experience a sunrise, the laugh of a baby, the kiss of someone we love, um, the sadness of losing someone we love, right? The, the camaraderie of friends, these are all amazing, amazing things we get to do. And that is why I come down on the culture of life as opposed to the culture of death, right? Uh, somebody is sickly and we have compassion for them. So we say they should be able to kill themselves. And that's a culture of death. And that only leads downhill, all right? I don't want to go too deep on it. These are just my thoughts. We're, we're spending some time together in this afternoon, just running through some thoughts as I look at my list of things here. Um, Trump and DeSantis. All right, let's let's talk politics for a minute. Trump and DeSantis. Now, Trump is way ahead. He's 30 points ahead in the polls. DeSantis is now running for president. Uh, Tim Scott, I like Tim Scott a lot. You know what? A lot of conservatives and Republicans like Tim Scott a lot. But oh no, he's a black guy. How can you like him? You're supposed to hate him. You're Republicans. Because Republicans don't hate black people. Right? We're all people. That's the way we see it. I see as we're all Americans. Right? 
Uh, I don't see black people, white people, Asian people. I see Americans. And what binds us together is our beliefs, right? And Tim Scott is a conservative. He's a, a God-fearing man. He seems like a decent man. He's got great conservative ideas about uh, on, uh, safety and security and a strong military and opportunity in America. These are the things that bind me and Tim Scott together, right? Same as Donald Trump. He has those same beliefs, and so does uh, Ronald DeSantis, and so does Nikki Haley, and so do all these people that are conservatives, and that's why I like them. I don't look and go, Nikki Haley, conservative, the female conservative, She's just a, she's a conservative. She's an American. Happens to be a woman, right? You know, uh, you, you can get sidetracked in in all of these kind of thoughts. But my point is, is that politically, uh, I, I, DeSantis and Trump are the two leaders right now, and they're going to battle it out. And what I don't like, and I think a lot of conservatives don't like, is listening to Donald Trump badmouth somebody that we really all do like a lot and see as the future of the party being Ron DeSantis. Now, the reality is, I understand you have to be bruising, you know, in the, in the, in the primary so that you win, so you tell everybody you're different. And I, I even tweeted, um, I tweeted out uh, just my two cents to President Trump. Run on your record. Run on your record. You have a great record. You have a great record. You did great things as a president. You, you made our country stronger, our economy stronger, our enemies were feared, uh, our, our allies did their part. They dug in to do more. You, you had a very, very good run as president. Had they not lied about you and attacked you, all the DOJ and the FBI and all the government functionals, had they not lied about you and attacked you the way they did, uh, you could have done thousands and thousands of more things that would have been amazing for our country. But when, when we all, a lot of us here that are Trump people, while we want Trump to be the guy, because we think it was, you know, I'm not saying it was stolen, but there was a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of, a lot of things wrong that the Republicans didn't do right in the last election. We didn't uh, ballot harvest. We didn't uh, do early voting, which we should learn all those things from our friends on the left. But the reality is uh, most people, the, obviously the majority in the Republican Party, see Trump as the guy that he should be given another chance. And if he blows it, he blows it. If he wins, he'll do great as president. We know he will. And we like Ron DeSantis. We like him a lot. We like Tim Scott. They are obviously the future of our party. So therefore, I think everyone should adhere to the Ronald Reagan, to Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment. Do not attack another Republican. Run on your record on the good things you did and tell us the good things you're going to do down the road. Don't tell us what you don't like about Ron DeSantis, that he's a weak governor, because that's nonsense. He's a great governor. He didn't do very well during COVID. He did great during COVID, right? He did great. He lost the, he lost the most amount of people because they have the most people there to lose. They have the, the largest elderly population everywhere, and COVID hit the elderly pretty bad. Right? But we don't like it. There's a lot of people here I know that I talk to that are Trump people, and they're all saying the same thing. Yeah, Trump's good. I want Trump to have another chance, but I wish he would stop attacking DeSantis. He's up in the polls. He doesn't have to attack DeSantis because all you're doing is giving the next group uh, of anti-Republican people, you're giving them 
uh, fodder to go after. Well, Trump said this about you. Just talk about your record and the good things you did and what you're going to do in the future. Return us to energy independence. Uh, back our enemies down. Make our country safe. Go in and make the country safe. Uh, you know, pacify crime in the country. Turn this, this, this woke nonsense around uh, so that the country can go back and heal and move forward. All of us together, right? That's what he should be talking about. And I know it really, some matter of fact, some people are getting so turned off by his commentary that, I, and this is what I've actually heard, you know what? I didn't think he was a jerk. I thought they just took him out of context and maybe he said some stupid, maybe he really is a jerk. Maybe I should go with DeSantis now. And I think that's a reality. Now, Trump's so far ahead, but that could change tomorrow. Um that could change tomorrow, and then he's not so far ahead, and then maybe it is DeSantis or uh, Tim Scott or uh, Haley or, or any one of the other people that are that are jumping into the race. I'm not sure, but I know I don't like it. It doesn't feel good because um, I do like DeSantis. Is it his time now? I don't know. I think he'd be a, I, I think he'd be a good president. I think he has proven himself as a good leader of government. He runs a state very, very well. Florida is very, very successful. It did very well in the pandemic. He's a very good leader. He's strong. He's fighting back against a major corporation, which is, uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they got money and they're, they're doing what they want to do politically. And he's trying to fight them down for the people of Florida. So I see him as a, as an absolutely viable candidate. Now, can he learn to present himself a little bit better. Yeah, he's great at the governor's speech and running for election. He won by 20 points in the state of Florida. He won the election by 20 points, right? So I think he's an absolutely viable presidential candidate. I think he would do very well as president. Um, you know, saying, and that's another thing Donald Trump is saying, you know, he's not ready. Uh, he's not ready yet. Well, Donald Trump, you weren't a politician at all to run the government. You ran a business, right? And the government when you ran it like a business, did very well, I'll give you that. But the reality is, this guy's run a state, a big state, an important state, and he can step in, and I think he'd be a very good president. So I don't like, and a lot of people don't like, that uh, Donald Trump is bad-mouthing uh, Ron DeSantis, because we see him as the future, and we want to buoy him up. They should have their battle, talk about their policies, what they would do and not do, and let people decide. And if it's Trump, it's Trump. If it's DeSantis, it's DeSantis. And then we all move ahead together. But I, I see that, and that's the conversation. You've probably been having those conversations too, right? You like DeSantis, but you prefer Trump right now. But we don't like Trump attacking DeSantis. It just doesn't feel right. Uh, it feels like, you know, the, it's the other side. And then, you know what I'm saying? I, I, could, I, I don't want to go on and on and on. All right. We do see the um, the Mexican president, uh, what's his name, uh, Lopez uh, Obrador, uh, comes out and he says that no Hispanics should vote for DeSantis. He should get no votes from Hispanic people. Who the hell is this guy? The reason he doesn't want DeSantis to get any votes because he likes having our friends on the left in who have open borders. And he can send people over the border. They send money back to Mexico. They're coming and going. He's getting rid of a lot of his problems. So he's very happy with our friends on the left. He doesn't want a, a, a conservative or a Republican in there. So, you know, he should keep his mouth shut. He's a world leader. Um, he shouldn't be involved. And I didn't like that he came out and said some things. All right. Um, real quick, I'm going to talk about Jordan Vandersloot, the dirtbag murderer. 
uh, killed a young woman in Peru, I believe. He's in prison for that. And he's also the number one suspect in the missing uh, Natalie Holloway case from many moons ago when this young lady disappeared from Aruba. And, uh, you know, if you were to look at it logically, uh, it looks like he had some involvement in that. I don't know that he did. Uh, but it looks like on the outside, there's a peripheral case to say he's obviously a person of interest, as they say. And now they're going to bring him back from uh, Peru or wherever to stand trial for stealing money from Natalie's mother. The poor, poor woman never gets, never gets any rest uh, from this guy. But the reality is, don't you feel that he knows where her body is, that, that, that bringing her home would be one of the most important things. Wouldn't you want to say, you know what, uh, somebody go in the cell and talk to him and have a conversation with him and let him know that, uh, you know, we'd like to know where she is. Wouldn't you let, you know, in the best, in the nicest of all worlds, wouldn't you be able to get that information out of this guy? How dare he not tell that mother where the body is? He's already in jail. Now, of course, that might mean making some kind of deal with him. Um, it was in Aruba, so it wouldn't be the United States wouldn't be prosecuted to be Aruba. But maybe they're going to make a deal and say, okay, you get out of jail in Peru in uh, 15 years. So we're going to, you know, if you tell us where the body is, we'll charge you with the, with the homicide and we'll add only 10 years to your sentence. Uh, something, you know, give him some kind of incentive to bring the girl home. Bring the girl home, because if not, she's just out there somewhere, you know. Um, now, obviously, as gruesome as it is, if he if he dumped her in the water, uh, she's probably long gone. But if she if he buried her somewhere, it would be good to be able to get her remains home to the United States to her family, and give her a proper burial. Right? I think that would be the right thing. And I see this guy. Uh, you know, it's it's like he runs all the cards. He's got all the cards in the game. I'll decide this. I won't say nothing. I'll go here. I won't go to the United States. He's a dirtbag murderer. And it, it, it bothers me as a private citizen, as a human being, that he has that much control over any of this. He should be telling us where that young lady is. So there, I've told you that. All right, so I wanted to get into Uvalde and Nashville. And I think I'm going to have to do it uh, on another episode more in-depth than this one because we only have a few minutes left. But people have asked me, you know, what really is the biggest difference now, if you've seen any of the video uh, of the Nashville officers, they were magnificent. They were absolutely magnificent. All the cops I talked to in the last couple of days uh, when I brought this up, they all said, man, it was amazing to watch those guys. They were, they were awesome. The, the cop who was the leader was giving people proper instruction. They were covering correctly. They got in quickly. Um, they found the, the shooter and they uh, eliminated the shooter professionally quickly and, and got it over with it really uh it was an amazing display of what we train our people to do um, we hope that if it ever happens that they would respond the way those officers did now when we look at uvalde um that was uh you could say the individual officers didn't perform properly they did the, the individual officers the the line rank and file officers were under the command of a chief that i think the problem in uvalde was one of leadership and not thinking clearly and not being prepared. Uh, so some of the myths that we heard that they propped the door open, that's how the guy got in, that's not true. Uh, they had doors that were unlocked, not propped. So lock your doors, right? That's the simplest thing, lock your doors. In the Covenant school shooting, we saw that the killer shot the glass out and got in immediately. So you have to put some protection on your glass so they can't get in immediately. Uh, in Uvalde, 
one of the most horrific things is the police were at the door of the classroom where the killer was very, very quickly. They actually made entry once they finally got there and got themselves together. And they got to the door, but they didn't go in because they, the chief believed that the door was probably locked and they couldn't get in and this and that. So he had them back out and look for breaching tools and the, the shooter was inside shooting outside the door. So they retreated back when the reality the horrifying reality was that the door to that classroom was broken and it could have it was not locked all you had to do was turn the knob and make entry and i know those officers would have done it they would have went in there to save as many of those kids as they possibly could if they knew that but the leadership i think is what failed in uvalde from the beginning to the end there was a lot of confusion. You know, we know that the chief had two radios and he jumped out of his car uh, to go to the school. You know, that's what he's supposed to do. And he dropped the radios uh, and decided not to pick them up. So now you have the leader of the event out of communication, right? Big problem. Uh, how they trained, they did train there in Uvalde. They did practice. They had, a, I think they had a drill not too, too long before this terrible event took place. But obviously, they didn't follow through. They didn't have the equipment with them. You know, when I talk to officers, I say, in this day and age, the officers should have the firepower they need readily available to them in their cars. That means rifles, get them the rifles they need. They should have ballistic vests. They should have ballistic shields. They should have all the things they need on a moment's notice to go running into any kind of a facility to try and help people. So the difference between Nashville and Uvalde was one of preparation, training, and leadership. The leadership, I think, failed in Uvalde. And unfortunately, we lost lots and lots of people. Um, in the Covenant School, the glass was easily defeated. So there are many, many lessons uh, there. And that's why I think I'm going to, I'm actually going to cover most of the program um, in an episode here, uh, the program I did for campus safety. I'll, I'll do the program here for all of us. It will be uh, an in-depth look at the things. And there's a lot of advice, you know, lessons learned. That's the whole idea. Lessons learned of what we can do. All right, so listen, this was a, a hodgepodge of topics and ideas this week uh, on this episode, and I appreciate you being here with me. I needed to clear some things out of my head as we, as we move forward, and um, it is the anniversary time of the Uvalde shooting and some other shootings. Uh, April and May have been very difficult months for many school districts because there seems to be a lot of violence in those couple of months. Uh, I pray that this is the end of it. There'll be no more school shootings, that for whatever reason, the tide will turn and no longer will be mayhem and murder in our schools. So with that on mind, everyone, remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe saying, see you down the road.